0: In 1948, a baseball player stepped on the field in Cincinnati. He bore the uniform of the Brooklyn Dodgers. As he stepped on the field, he was met by the slurs and injustice words of bigots in the crowd. And as he stood there on that field, it was his second season. You see, the season before, he was the rookie of the year. He had a batting average just under 300. And set on the scene in 1947, Jackie Robinson, you may know him as 42, um, a great baseball player who came on the scene in 47 and broke the barriers in Major League Baseball. But at the same time, he was faced with threats, with racist remarks that would come from the stands. But something happened in 1948 in Cincinnati where one by the name of Pee Wee Reese stepped over in the midst of this scene on the baseball field and put his arm around Robinson as a sign to say, if you're against him, you're against us all. It was a momentous day. It was a day that is now remembered in Brooklyn at a minor league stadium. There's a statue that stands of Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson, arm in arm. It's a message of the significance of Jackie Robinson and his steps of desegregating major league baseball. The president of the Brooklyn Dodgers, Branch Rickey, wanted to be a part of breaking the barrier. That's why he brought Jackie Robinson on. It's why he brought him to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, Robinson was good, but there was a bigger mission going on. And Jackie broke the barrier. What's amazing about Jackie is Eric Metaskus writes in his writing on his life, It says what's even more monumental about Robinson is that he didn't fight back against filth and justice. It was a heroic accomplishment as anything else that the sports world had ever witnessed. Someone who wouldn't fight back. He took it. He took it. What's amazing about 1947 is this was an advance to many different things that are very notable of breaking the race barrier in baseball. It was a year before President Truman ordered the U.S. military desegregate. It was seven years before the U.S. Supreme Court rendered its decision in Brown versus the Board of Education. It was eight years before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on Montgomery, Alabama bus. It was 10 years before President Eisenhower used the U.S. military to enable the Little Rock Nine to attend Central High School in Arkansas. It was 16 years before Martin Luther King would get up and deliver his famous speech of, I have a dream. It was 17 years before the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It was 18 years before the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The impact of Jackie Robinson was huge. It was huge. But what is often admitted from the story of Robinson and the president of the Dodgers, Branch Rickey, is the importance of their Christian faith. Rarely do we hear about their faith, but their faith was huge. Robinson, a Christian, professed Christ as Savior, was at the very decision, was the center of his decision to accept the invitation by Branch Rickey to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Branch Rickey as well himself, a Bible-thumping Methodist whose faith led him to find an African-American ball player to break the color barrier. These two stood together at the center of the most important civil rights story in America. Two men passionate about Christ wanted to make a difference. And at the center of these two men was the gospel of peace. That's what was at the center of this beautiful picture of Robinson and Branch. As we hear that this morning, as we think about what happened with these two men who came together and decided together that they would break the barriers that men had put up so unjustly and unrighteously, what we see this morning in today's text is God's vision. God's vision as well, just like these men carried out for the gospel to break through cultural barriers, to the gospel to break through race barriers, for the gospel to break through ethnic origin barriers, to overcome the barriers of past that we all have, whatever it may be, so that the gospel can penetrate cities and neighborhoods and distant lands, so that the hearts of men and women who live in those lands and neighborhoods and cities would hear the beautiful gospel of peace that brings down all barriers. And this morning, God wants you and I to be gospel-centric, and what that means is that we understand that there is no one who is unfit for the gospel. That those, wherever they may be, whoever they are, whatever they have done, Whatever their history is, that you and I would never alienate or segregate anyone. You see, we are to be people who live in the world, but we're not of it. The winds of racism, the winds of segregation, the winds of putting others down, the winds of snubbing others, of alienating others, of looking down at others, it still blows in our world. It blows through the media, blows through social media. But the church, you and I, are to be different. No doubt, after a week that's been seen in Orlando and other places in our world, there is to be a light in this world. We've sung about it this morning that Jesus is the light of what? Of the world, and that you and I, who bear the name of Christ, are to shine that light without any partiality. You see what's interesting in the early church, they were tempted. They were tempted to allow barriers to keep the gospel from penetrating people's hearts. They were tempted to not love others, just like, no doubt, we can be tempted as well. But today what we see is they learn the heart of God. And one of the church's main leaders is going to learn it for himself. And what's going to happen from here is the gospel's going to spread. Because they realize that no one is unfit for the gospel. And so with that in mind this morning, I want us to look at this text. We're going to cover some ground, kind of give a 30,000-foot level, and then dip down here and there to really bring out four points this morning. And so let's do this this morning. Look at Acts chapter 10. Look at verses um, 1, and I just want to read to you part of what um, Mike read already this morning for us. In verse 1 of chapter 10, there was a man at Caesarea. His name was Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian uh, battalion or cohort. A devout man, one who feared God with his household and gave many alms to who? So he's a Gentile. He gives many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour he has this vision as the angel of God who had just come in and said to him Cornelius fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed he said what is it Lord and he said to him your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa. Send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. And what's interesting at the end of chapter 9 we learn that that's Where Peter was now placed by God is in the house of a man who was Simon. And then look at verse 6. He is staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so Cornelius has this vision. God meets him there. And now he sends these men to Joppa. Now pick this up in verse 9. On the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in all its kind four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up. Peter, kill and eat. Some of us men in here are going, "Mm Mm-hmm, that's right. I love that. I love that. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. That probably rings a bell with some of us this morning, the three-time comment. And immediately the object was taken up into this guy. What's happening here? You have these two men, Cornelius, a Gentile, Peter, a Jew. They're in two different places. God comes and meets both of them. And eventually, they're going to have this great collision, this beautiful collision. And God meets Cornelius. Cornelius sends these men to Peter. While that's happening, Peter is in this trance, and God tells him, Eat. Eat things that the ceremonial laws of Leviticus 11 tells you not to eat. You've followed those up to this point. That's what the Jews were to do. And up to this point, no, you were not to eat those things. But now he tells them three times, have your way. Eat up. Eat up. I'm thinking this led the path eventually for Tex-Mex, right? You guys with me? All right. This, this led the path, man. Led the path. And I, I read that this morning. I was like, praise Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank God for fajitas. I mean, that's, that's what I take. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay. But here's the question. Um, the first point this morning is the question, what does not defile us and what does defile us? Because the Jews were told, hey, listen, do not eat these certain animals. Do not eat these certain things. And for a long history, that's how they rolled. Well, why? Because God wanted them to be set apart as a nation. In everything they did, he wanted them to be set apart as the Israelites from the nations of the world, from the Gentiles. Why? To glorify him, to bear his name. And so a big part of this was was the foods. and, and, And simply it was to say, hey listen, will you obey me as a people? And so God had set that up, had set that in place. But with the coming of Jesus Christ into the world and his sacrifice on the cross, those ceremonial laws about foods were lifted. The barrier to the Gentile world was completely removed, completely removed. We see that in Matthew 28, verse 19. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples? He says, I want you to go, therefore, into all nations, It's the word ethne, ethnic groups, all peoples of all the world. And I want you to go and make disciples of all people. So any hint of any barrier of the gospel and of loving people with the love of God, obviously as removed as the food laws and all that God had set up in place had been fulfilled and ended with Jesus Christ. And so the question is this morning, because this is important to the background here, is is what does defile us and what does not. According to Jesus in, in Mark 7, he makes it real clear. You see, the Pharisees one day, they were having an issue with Jesus and his disciples because the disciples were eating and they had not washed their hands rightly, right? Now, it's good to wash your hands before you eat, but they did not do it ceremonially and rightly according to the Mosaic Law or to the specific laws even the Pharisees had added in. And so they had an issue with that. And so Jesus took the opportunity to teach about what makes one unclean and what makes us not unclean. Listen to what he says in Mark 7 verse 14. He says, listen to me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And then he continues because the disciples questioned him and they did not get it. And then in verse 18, he tells them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and it is eliminated. We we get that. So basically what Jesus is doing here is he's declaring here with this statement that all foods can be eaten. No more of the ceremonial laws in place for the Israelites. And then he says this in verse 20. That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of covening, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And so what was Jesus saying? It wasn't about what you eat. It wasn't about all this outside stuff. But it was about the heart of man. That is what is unclean and defile. That's why in Ezekiel 36, you remember God said through Ezekiel, what does man need? What does mankind, what does every people in this world need is a new heart. Because what does Jeremiah tell us? God says to him, the heart of man is wicked. It is deceitful. It is deceitful. And so what makes us unclean is what's on the inside. It's not these ceremonial laws, these things that we eat, these things that we take in. No, God says it's our hearts that are unclean and need to be cleansed. And so when Jesus comes, he fulfills all the laws, and he puts it into the barrier, and he makes the clear point, what makes us unclean is our heart. That's what needs to be cleaned, and that's why he came, is to give us a new heart, to cleanse us and to forgive us of our sins so that we could be pure. And so that's the background here. And the second point we find here is that as a result of that there is no alienation. There is no segregation. There is no rejection of others. And so look at the text here. Look at verse 17. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he just had, The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. They called out. They were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit of God said to him in verse 19, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings. For I sent them myself. Peter did so. He went down. He said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, righteous, and God-fearing man, well-spoken by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in, gave them lodging, and on the next day he got up. He went away with them. Some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends then Peter entered, met Cornelius, felled his feet, and Cornelius worshipped him. But Peter said, stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled there. Listen to what he says in verse 28, huge statement here. And he said to them you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came. Well, without even raising any objection for I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me today. I'll pause there for a second. So with what we've learned already The ceremonial laws, those things that kept the Jews separated from the food, but but not only that, from the Gentiles, from the other nations. Here what we learn as well is God has directed Peter. It's not only just about food. Obviously, that was the big crux of the issue that separated them. But God said, I want you to go to the people. I want you to go to Gentiles, where before they were not To do that, it was frowned upon. In fact, it's going to be frowned upon in just a moment. But what God had put together to make a nation and a people set apart from other nations to live for him was turned into these regulations and these rules that created this segregation, this alienation based on ethnic origins and religious traditions. Now what he was saying, there's no room for that. I want you to go to these people. And so Cornelius, a Gentile. He was seeking God. We saw it in verse 1 and 2. He wasn't saved yet, but he was seeking God. And what's interesting about that, he would not be allowed, right, like the Jews, to worship in the temple, to worship in the place where Jews would worship together. He would not be allowed to do that. But think about this for a second. The God of heaven would hear his prayers. And the God of heaven, not only that, would answer his prayers. Yet men would not allow him into their worship settings. You see, God shows no partiality. And that's the lesson that Peter will learn on this day as we read in verse 34. As he's going to stand before Cornelius. As he's going to stand before his relatives and his friends and the people that are gathered there. And he will say, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. And what has broken down the barrier is the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of peace. It's what's changed Peter's heart, It's what has changed the whole landscape, and God wants to get the church, and especially its church leaders in the first century, to get that, and to understand that God is the God of the nations. He's the God of the universe. It's not just a God of Jews. He's the God of all people. And that's what the gospel of peace did. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 um, verses 11 through 16. He will say that there is these people that were outside of the promises of God, outside the commonwealth of Israel. But God, through the gospel of peace, as Jesus Christ reconciled men to each other through the gospel, he broke down all the barriers. He took what was defiled, the heart of man, and he forgives us, he saves us, and not only that, he brings us together, both Jew and Gentile, into one new body, into one new man. And so the barriers of human distinctions, distinctions made by man, now have all been broken down. There are no more barriers because the gospel peace. and what's amazing about this, God wants Peter to make sure he gets this. How do we know that? Look at verse 13 and what he does here. He says, get up and eat, or get up and kill him to go eat. And he's going to tell him this three different times that, hey, listen, what was once viewed as unholy is no longer unholy and unclean. Go and eat. Interesting how God works with Peter. He has to tell him three times, three times. Some of us in here this morning his parents were thinking, golly, I wish three times would work with my kids, Right? But God God had to do that with Peter, and he got the point across three times. The repetition there is significant because he wants this to land. He wants us to make sure that we get this. At the same time, the timing of God is amazing here because he just doesn't want Peter to get this and linger with it for a little bit. He is sending the men, and the men come to the house where Peter is right then. In fact, Peter is still perplexed in his mind. He's thinking through, what is this vision about? And as the men arrive at his house, he's thinking through this and the Holy Spirit quickens his heart and says, let these men in. Let them stay with you. Let these Gentile men come in and stay with you at your house, which Jews did not do. And so Peter learns the point right there. What you regarded formerly as unclean, regard it as unclean no more. Those you regarded as being separated in fellowship with, view it that way no longer. Why? Because the gospel of peace has come to make all people of all nations, sons and daughters of Christ. And so Peter learned this day that no one is unfit for the gospel. All the barriers are broken down. And so what does that mean? Well, it, well, it changes everything. And, and here, what God has always been about to go to the nations. And we read in the Old Testament. He, he was about the nations. That's what the Israelites were for. The Israelites were to declare to the world. <laughs> but they got so caught up in them. And they were partial. But God's not a God of partiality. He's a God, thirdly this morning, he wants to to take the gospel to the nations. That's why, that's why world missions exist, why foreign missions exist, because it's God's heart that we would go to every ethnic group, to all people of all different walks and all different backgrounds, to the Cornelises of the world. What's interesting about Cornelius as you look at this text this morning, God was preparing his heart. He wasn't even saved in verse 1 and and, and 2 in this text that we look at this morning. And yet, he was so respected by the Jews because he was a giver and he, he cared for them. And he feared God as best as he knew how. But then look at verse 34 and 35. Look what Peter learned and look at what God is doing here. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him does what is right is welcome to him. In verse 35, what that tells us is that all over the world, God is preparing people to receive the gospel. Just like he did with Cornelius. He's preparing their hearts But we learn in this text as well, as he is doing that, he is raising up his church, just like he does with Peter, to go. To go. To the ends of the earth. And so here's the shift with the church. Here's the shift in Acts, in the mission of God, in the kingdom of God that we see taking place, is God goes to the leaders of the church and changes their thinking and changes their minds so they don't get caught up in these regulations and these rules and segregate others and have barriers, but instead that they would be bearers of the good news to all. And then look what happens real quickly. I want you to just see this in verse 36. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, this is what Peter says, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power. And how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day. Granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate, drank with him after he rose from the dead. And listen to this. He ordered us to preach to the people. Solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So here's Peter standing before Cornelius, his friends, his relatives, and he preaches the gospel. Unheard of, right? Now we've seen it with Philip, with the Ethiopian, but here is the shift. As Peter declares the gospel, he says, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus receive the forgiveness of sins. Now, what happens after this, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. The Holy Spirit comes and falls on Cornelius, his relatives, and his friends. They receive the Holy Spirit. And I love what Peter says. Look at verse 45. As a result of this, the circumcised believers that were standing here that came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. But look at what Peter says. Go over to chapter 11, verse 17. As he was sharing this with the Jews, they had an issue with him. Because these guys, they receive the Holy Spirit. They're baptized at the end of chapter 10. And word gets back to the Jews. And you know what? They had issues with this. Because they're like, wait, hold on a second. Why is a Jew going and hanging out with Gentiles and sharing the gospel with them? Why is this happening? That huge issue is. So in chapter 11, at the beginning, Peter shares, this is what happens. This is what God has shown me. And it says in verse 14 about Cornelius and his household that they were saved. Their lives were changed. They were baptized. And look at verse 17 of chapter 11. Listen to what Peter says to the Jews in Jerusalem. He says, Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could stand in God's way? I love that statement. And so what happens to the Jews who didn't like what was going on? God changes their hearts. And in verse 18, they heard this. They quieted down. They glorified God saying this. Well, then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And as we think about that this morning, the beat goes on because guess what? The repentance that leads to life for Gentiles has been granted to us in here. It's a huge shift, huge shift, monumental, monumental. If anything, I, what, two things that this text teaches us this morning is that you and I should have no room for any alienation, for any discrimination. We should hate it. We should hate it. And secondly, we are to be those who go and we take the gospel, we support the work, we support the sending of the gospel to the nations. Because that's what God desires for his church. That's the work we're to be about. And I can't think of Father's Day that there could be a greater message than than simply this. The dad's There couldn't be a greater characteristic. There couldn't be a greater trait for any believer, but dads, especially for us. That we would be seen by our children as those who hold no prejudices. As those who hold nothing against others. No matter of their race, no matter of their past. No matter of cultural differences, no matter where they're from that our kids would see no shrugging off, no snobbery, no snubbing of the nose of anybody based on social status or financial status or whatever their job is, that there would be no slurs, that there would be no words whatsoever that puts down anyone else, but instead that they would see men who bear and uphold the gospel of peace. Men who desire that all men, that all women, that all kids, all people of all different walks, all different lives and backgrounds would know the gospel that changes lives, just like it did Cornelius, and just like it has for people for centuries and continues to change today, that they would see that in us dads. And so dads, we have a mission, and the mission is the same mission that Peter was on, And so I pray that we would uphold it, that we would take it, that we would bear it, and we would say, yes, Lord, I understand this. And that I would be a man. There's no room for barriers. But it's all about the gospel of peace. So may it be so. Let's pray.